Hello. We're back, bitch. Hey. Me too. Ooh, I needed to have like this outlet, man. And plus, I all it. of the research that I've been doing over the last few days has been very traumatizing. And I need to share it with you because I know you'll get it. Because you yes. also. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back. I've been so excited. Me too. Thanks, uh, the Lesson Foundry for um, uh, sponsoring today's episode. Yay! I love that. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. You want to just jump right in? Oh my god, I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, are we? We're doing the intro, right? The regular intro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to start or you want me to start? Yeah, I'll go first. All right, so welcome, guys. This is the Two Ghouls Podcast. We're your hosts, Sam and Katie. Again, tonight's episode is kindly sponsored by the Lesson Foundry. If you're new here, we're two cousins looking to read weekly listeners some scary true stories surrounding terrifying paranormal experiences or real-life run-ins. In short, we're your weekly source of scared shitless. If being utterly petrified by fear is your thing, you've come to the right place. If you're returning, hello again. We're so glad that you decided to come back for more disturbingly good content. It sounds like we've got a good relationship going here. We hope that if you're enjoying our content, you'll help to sustain future episodes and financially provide us the opportunity to bring you even better content by searching our merch shop. Or you can also just pay out an outright 99 cent, 4.99, or 9.99. Whichever price that you choose, your patronage will be used to help bring you even better episodes, interesting guests, greater quality, and more. You can find the link to that in the description of this live or by visiting the link on my Instagram account. Uh, Hello, dot spooky. Yes. <laughs> Disclaimer, we are extremely aware of the fact that we are discussing real life instances with real people. It is something that we're very sensitive to. Please mm-hmm. understand our commitment to respecting the human beings involved in these stories. If commenting or interacting with an episode or our social media, slander of any kind regarding the people, whether they be anonymous or not, will not be tolerated. Keep your opinions respectful or don't share them at all. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. If descriptive, supposedly true stories centering around gory real-life topics, paranormal encounters, and or anything surrounding extremely descriptive true narratives involving terror, murder, sexual interaction, mental health, anything violent, or potentially cruel in nature, we suggest that you get the fuck out. This podcast is not for you. You have been warned. That's the first time I've done that without screwing up. (laughs) She don't sound like me. I felt like I was going to run out of breath on mine. (laughs) (laughs) welcome back cool friend (laughs) anyway guys i'm so happy we're back yay i'm so glad we have quite quite the episode to come back (laughs) yeah uh, quite the return uh if you're not ready to be really sad well you know what just don't even listen to this podcast in general (laughs) but (laughs) yeah yeah this one's definitely gonna be quite well i don't know mine is sad but it's also more crazy than it is sad i think let me just say i don't know anything about the heaven's gate cult oh really nothing nothing i know nothing i know maybe it had something to do with aliens and maybe the second coming of the christ or whatever yeah it's it's basically all about aliens i'm trying to get my mother the link to the to the live i'm sorry paste oh jeez yeah yeah it's definitely very sci-fi i'm excited build. it's it's very strange that's the thing it is very sad in the end but it's just weird i mm. think yours is a lot more sad. maybe i should have taken <laughs> jones down 
<laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. It's not your bad. I'm laughing because it really was kind of fucked up. But that's, <laughs> that's next week will be lighter. It'll be lighter. What are we doing next week anyway. I think we're gonna do like Reddit confessions or something. Yeah. Ooh, that that'll, that'll work. That'll be interesting. <laughs> anyway, it'll be a lot lighter than this for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I hope everybody had a good holiday, whether it was yeah. Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, still going on. All of those a good holiday. Yeah, I did. I had a really good one. Good, I did yeah. too. We all got sick. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> I'm in the new. It's all blurred out, but it, it looks like the demon <laughs> oh, from Insidious is behind me. It it's like a gaming chair. <laughs> So I'm very comfortable it's today. Nice. I'm sitting in a metal chair. <laughs> Listen, for the, need to get one. the longest time we had like an old dining room chair right here in front of the computer. <laughs> my so I'm very happy about this. Oh, I love it. I wish I could see it. Yeah, it's all blurred. It's like, like fucking Deadpool is behind you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I guess I'm gonna get. Here we go. Started. Yeah, 23 pages of notes. <laughs> okay. All right, let's see. I guess I'm going to give like the ending of the story at the very beginning just to to let the viewers know what exactly happened with Heaven's Gate. Okay. So again, today we're talking about cults and both stories that we have are very like well-known stories, but I feel like a lot of the backstory isn't as like well like publicized it's just like ah crazy people Mm, okay oh don't drink the kool-aid it's like "Mm, (laughs) (laughs) so heaven's gate was a cult that was started in the early 70s but it ended with um in rancho santa fe california in 1997 39 members of the cult committed suicide in a rented mansion Mm. In March of 1997, Marshall Applewhite, which he was the leader, one of the leaders, he told the followers that there was a UFO in the tail of the Hale-Bopp comet. And it that comet specifically was the most widely observed comet of the 20th century. And it was one of the brightest seen for many decades. And it only comes around like every 2000 years or something. Okay. And I, from what I saw in like the Wikipedia about this specific comet is that it was visible for like 18 months, but it had like a, a, a portion in time where it was super duper bright. So he said that there, that uh, there was a UFO in the tail of the comet that was going to come and pick everybody up. What? And this was their chance at salvation. Yeah. And people believed it? Yes. Wow. Okay. So uh, this comet was also called the Great Comet of 1997. So a marshal, he convinced members that the comet was their signal to board the UFO, which would take them into eternity. And to do so, they needed to commit suicide so that their souls could onboard or ascend into the universe and get on the spaceship. And they took a combination of phenobarbitrol, which is a barbiturate, and used typically to 
controls seizures. It's like an epilepsy medication, but okay. sometimes it's also used for like anxiety and used to help people get off of other barbiturates which, without having withdrawal okay. symptoms. Okay. So it was phenobarbital, alcohol, and then they also put plastic bags over their heads. Oh my God. So it was like a guaranteed y'all are going to die. Okay. And when everybody was found, they all had on Nike running shoes. They had buzzed haircuts, even the women. And they all had $5 worth of quarters in their pockets. That part, that part, there's no explanation for it. The $5 of quarters is just like, is that what it costs to get on the UFO? (laughs) It's like one of those rides at the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) Like no idea, but yeah, there were, they all had $5 a quarters in their pockets. They had buzzed haircuts and they were all wearing Nike running shoes. And, um, they all had on like black track suits, which come to find out later, the reason behind the Nike shoes and the track suits was just because it was the cheapest to, um, it was the cheapest if they bought them in bulk. So it was like a financial thing. It wasn't like, oh, we, why was Nike involved in this? They weren't. It was just cheap when they bought 39 of them. (laughs) So Heaven's Gate started as like a grassroots Christian sect mixed with sci-fi. And they compared leaving, um, on a UFO to how Jesus ascended after being crucified and about how like he died on the cross and then he was buried and then he was resurrected and then like ascended. Right. So they compared them getting onto this UFO, like them ascending as if Jesus did after he died. So the story starts with Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles and they believed that they were God's emissaries, which I had to look up what that meant because I wasn't sure what that exactly meant. And that just means like a person sent on like a special mission. And it's usually as like a diplomatic representative. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they believed that they were going to lead humanity out of a corrupt world. They believed that everything that was going on in the world world was corrupt and beneath them. And they claimed that they came from outer space and that they took on or basically wore human body suits, like flesh oh suits. God. Yeah. As like camouflage basically. And <laughs> They offered salvation to members who could overcome human desires like sex, money, drugs, fast food. Food was a big thing for them, like how much you ate, what exactly it was you ate. Sex was a big no-no. Even sexual thoughts was like a big no-no. Even in marriage. They didn't believe in marriage. Oh. Hmm. Bonnie Nettles and... Bonnie Nettles and Marshall Applegate were both married. Marshall was married for like 16 years and then got a divorce. And Bonnie, she was married for like 23 years and then got a divorce. When they started doing this culty stuff together, Mm. they never had sex. As far as we know, 
They never had sex. They never got married. Like once they started going on this mission, anything romantic or of human desire was, they didn't want that. That was beneath them. And Mm. it was only going to keep them here. It was only going to strap them down to the earth. Right. That makes sense. I get what they're saying. (laughs) Right. So 25 years before this mass suicide, Bonnie Uh, And her daughter, Terry, they're living in Houston, Texas. And Terry, the daughter recalls standing outside with her mom at like 14 years old, watching the sky and waiting for a UFO to come and beam them up. This was before the whole cult thing even started. And Terry in an interview said that, you know, she was thinking it would be really neat if uh, one talking about a UFO would come pick us up and take us away because neither one of us felt like we were part of this world, that we were always on the outside looking in. And we used to dream about that a lot. Like we wanted something different, mm-hmm. something extraterrestrial, I get, I guess. So at the same time in Corpus Christi, Texas, Marshall Applewhite His 16-year marriage is crumbling. He was a college music professor, and he was fired after being accused of having a sexual relationship with a male student. Oh, my God. And I don't know if that specifically is what was the end of his marriage, but it was all happening at the same time. The accusations and Mm. him getting fired and his marriage ending, that did all happen at the same time. So Bonnie and Marshall, they end up, um, they meet just as Bonnie's 23 year marriage is ending and they met in 1972. Terry, her daughter worked at a theater, not like a movie theater, but like where all the theater kids go and they do shows and music performances and stuff. And Marshall was teaching drama and music at this theater. So mm-hmm. Terry was there working Marshall was there working as a teacher and Bonnie was there because her daughter worked there, but also because she was doing astrological charts for all of the theater kids, moms. Mm. So I've also heard that she was doing like tarot card readings and I don't know. I know that she had seen like psychic mediums, but I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly what it was that she was getting people to pay her for outside of astrological charts, but I've heard tarot cards, psychic readings, stuff like that. Okay. So Terry recalls her mom telling her that there was something different and special about Marshall's astrological chart. Oh boy. Now, I've also heard that prior to them meeting that Bonnie had seen several psychics and one of the psychics had told her, you're going to meet this tall, light, light, fair man, a fair skinned man, and he's going to change your world and you need to go with him and you need to listen to what he's going to do. I'm not 100% sure if that's true or not, Mm -hmm. but I have heard that. So what Terry says, her daughter, is just that she was like. Oh my God, his chart. There's something special. It's not like anybody else's I've ever seen. It's just crazy. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Wow. So Bonnie and Marshall's relationship was all based on spirituality and their spiritual energy, and they completely shunned sex. And they turned their 
new age sci-fi and then Christian ideology into a business and went searching for followers. And Bonnie, I don't know if she was raised Christian, I'm assuming, but she knew the Bible inside and out. She could quote the Bible like that. Mm. And at this point, Marshall starts going by Herf. He has several different names. Both of them have several different names, but this is when he just like decided, I'm going to, I'm going to change my name and call myself Herf. (laughs) And he was like the speaker. Bonnie was like the brains. Mm -hmm. She did like the, she would write the sermon. She would, you know, do all of the flyers and the posters and give him all the, all of the information. And he would do the speaking. Right. So New Year's Day of 1973, they go on a, quote, spiritual road trip. And Bonnie leaves her son and daughter behind with her ex-husband. Now, I haven't seen anything about Bonnie ever going back to her kids, ever. Oh, God. I can't. So I, I don't know. I don't know if she ever went back to her kids. I know that she would write to them, mm-hmm. but I don't know if she ever saw them again. It's probably good they weren't involved, honestly. Uh, well, the thing is, is that Terry, her daughter, mm-hmm. was, I believe was the oldest of her children. She believed it. She believed mm-hmm. everything and wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So in a letter to Terry on July 26th of 1973, Bonnie wrote, we have finally come out of the wilderness and we know what our mission is. It is definitely a, quote, big one. In fact, we've been sent to fulfill the scriptures, the same as Jesus and others came to do. This has been revealed in John's revelations. I'm not kidding, baby. This is for real. I knew it was the, I knew it was something very important from the very beginning. Wow. This is literally within six months of her and, and Marshall or her, whatever you want to call him being out on the road together to me the way that this sounds is both of them were very mentally ill and their delusions just fed they were like of each other yeah yes and then it's like you're going out in in the wilderness and camping you know Mm -hmm. trying to find spirituality but in reality you're just finding more delusion yep so within the first year of their spiritual journey they had serious financial issues because they were neither one of them were working and Applewhite Marshall Applewhite was arrested in Kansas for stealing a rental car and he was in jail for six months and Bonnie sat around and waited for him to get out of jail yeah so during his sentence all he did was work on his doctrine he was like fine-tuning basically their bible what what was it that they were doing what they stood for the you know like all of the rules sitting in yeah (laughs) right (laughs) right you know the aliens are speaking to you while you're in your jail cell so during his half a year sentence in jail he's fine-tuning his doctrine and once released him and bonnie contacted a ufo researcher named hayden hughes in hopes of spreading their message. And Applewhite told him that he could do our mission a tremendous service 
through whatever means that you have available to you by saying that there are two individuals here to show that death can can be overcame like Jesus did 2000 years ago. That was the quote that Marshall Applewhite said to this UFO researcher. It's like, you could do us like a lot of good. If you just say that there's two people out there in the world that, you know, are like Jesus. Oh my God. Right. And he compared themselves to a caterpillar turning into a butterfly that their life on earth would go through like a metamorphosis into a level above human. A butterfly is not a level above human, but that's how he explained it. It's like you go in a cocoon and then boom, I'm a beautiful butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) And so at this point they call the group human individual metamorphosis. Hmm. And in the fall of 1975, they started calling themselves several different names. They called themselves Bo and Peep, Doe and T, and, quote, the two. Based on the two witnesses in the book of Revelations where that were slain when they and then ascended into heaven. Mm. So that's what they're basing themselves on. And one of the other names that they called themselves were Guinea and Pig. What the fuck? Yeah. Wow. And towards the end, like everybody in the group refers to them as T and Doe. So Bonnie is T and Marshall is Doe. Okay. Like, um, like the music, like, like Doe Remy. Yeah, yeah, that. Okay. So they had recruitment meetings all across the country and they were very persuasive. People have said that Marshall was very charismatic and he mm-hmm. seemed so sure of himself that it was just so easy to believe him. And Marshall convinced people that he could communicate telepathically and through secret codes. So he told Hayden Hughes, the UFO researcher dude, he said that if he ever needed to get a hold of him to use the quote secret code, which was reciting the Lord's prayer, but to Bonnie. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess 14 or 15 months after Marshall told him that they, there was a bunch of media and news stories about a couple of people who had went missing in Oregon, which we come to find out they weren't actually missing, but he there was a bunch of media about these couple people that went missing in Oregon and uh, Hayden thought like, maybe they know something about it because it said that they went missing after a UFO meeting. And so he did the secret code and did the Lord's prayer to Bonnie. And the next morning Marshall called him. What the fuck? So your mic went out for a second. Never mind. It's good now. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. I have my uh, notepad resting up against the keyboard. So it hit something. And so when Marshall called him the next morning, he was like, oh shit, well, maybe they are who they say they are because how I haven't heard from him in over a year. What would, that's strange. I gotta admit that's strange. Yeah. That's fucking weird. Yeah. So the group started attracting a lot of people from the hippie culture that was at this point dying Mm -hmm. out. And most members had been involved in some other religious group or cult or something, but I guess it didn't like click all the way. 
So most people had already been involved in something else, started looking into something else. Mm-hmm. And from what I've heard about from a lot of the members is that like the sci-fi part of it, like the UFOs, the aliens, that's what made it click for them. That's what made it so convincing, which is kind of mm-hmm. weird to me, but yeah. Um, Go off queen. <laughs> <whatever>. Right. Right. <laughs> A lot of the people who ended up involved in Heaven's Gate, they had also been involved in not only other religious groups, but they had also been involved in things like tarot cards, astrology, um, transcendental meditation that usually was paired with like psychedelic drugs Mm, at this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Most of them were religious seekers. They were out trying to find their purpose. They were out trying to find answers of, you know, what is my purpose in life? What, what happens after, after we die, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's completely viable. Like that's a, that's a normal thing to wonder. Oh, absolutely. So they definitely reeled in the right people. Then, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Oh, hello. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and to be able to keep the group going, money was required. At this point, they had followers that were staying with them in campgrounds and traveling with them across the country. And so some members were going to blood, blood banks and selling their blood. They would ask Christian bookstores for contributions. And some rich members or members that came from money would even hand over their whole trust funds. Wow. Yeah. And so one of the earliest recruits into the group, he was 19 years old and his name was David Moore. And um, I'm going to say like spoiler alert, David Moore ended up being in Heaven's Gate up until the very end. He Mm. never got out of this. Mm -hmm. So he was in there from 1975 all the way up to 1997. Wow. And his mom, Nancy Brown, couldn't believe that he was a part of this. It was just like flabbergasting to her. And Nancy said in an interview, when David came to say goodbye, I was observing him very closely to see if that to see if he showed any signs of being like a little off balance or being wild eyed or not making any sense. I think what she was inferring was like, was he on drugs? Right. But he seemed very calm. And he told her that this was something that spoke to him in a way that nothing that he had come across before had. Hmm. Which is what a lot of people said. Damn, this shit must be pretty convincing. How? I don't know. I, don't know. I You know, when I was researching this, there is a book that they wrote, like the members and stuff they wrote. I'm so curious to buy that book. Yeah. And actually read it just to see what the hell it is that was so convincing. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. People giving up their fucking trust funds and like donating their blood because they're like, I don't yeah. anymore. Like, okay. Well, and most wow. of the members were like, they believed that as soon as they saw Marshall and Bonnie, it was like something that clicked in their brain as if they knew them from a past life. They said that there was no doubt in their mind that they knew them and there was no question. The world. Okay. okay. Crazy. crazy. So Bonnie and Marshall hated media attention. They mm. did not like the media at all in general. And they definitely didn't like the media attention being on them. And They said that they didn't like the media because they, quote, asked annoying questions about Marshall's past. 
about you getting fired for um, supposedly having sexual relationships with a student. Yeah. A little self. And, and also the financial situation of the group, which that's really nobody's business. I can kind of get that. Yeah. So in 1976, the group went off the radar and they stayed at campgrounds in, quote, good energy states, which the examples that were given were like Colorado, California, Arizona. Sure. So Chuck Humphrey, he was a member. And in in an interview, he said, so we isolated ourselves in a small group of 60 to 70 people, and we didn't have contact with their family. We were isolated into a circumstance where we could focus on our change. And there was a continual emphasis on the urgency that we make our change over quickly because we wanted to be ready when, quote, they came. So from what I understand, these changes are are like for you to completely detach yourself from anything human, any human desires like food, sex, drugs, addiction, anything that would bring a normal human pleasure. Mm-hmm. You have to completely detach yourself from that because to get to the next level, you, you can't have anything that is attaching you to the earth. Otherwise, right. you're not going to move up. Right. Kind of sounds like Scientology now that I'm saying it. Yeah, this is all sounding very similar to that. Yeah. I was just thinking that. And one member said that she'd always buy like a really small like travel or trial pack of toothpaste tube of toothpaste. Mm -hmm. Just because she didn't want to buy a whole tube of toothpaste if they were gonna get beamed up. Oh my god. But she also said that she was always ending up buying another tube. That's so interesting. Everyone's like, I'm ready to go. Wow. Yeah. And towards the end of this story, like you really understand how ready these people were. They were so 100% believed in this, that they were just, they were ready. Wow. And a group member struggled to quote, be like angels, like not having those human urges and desires, Mm -hmm. whatever they may be. Like um, denying their sexuality and their individuality. Michael Conyers, he was a former member, says that Marshall Applewhite was promiscuous in his early life and he saw sexuality as bad, giving him hard times. So he had to find a way to reckon with this. And that was once he started this group, it was like sexuality, sex in general, sexual urges, sexual thoughts, big no no. Mm-hmm. And that's how this member specifically believes that he was fighting with his sexual urges. And like I said before, he was accused of having a homosexual relationship with a male student, student teacher relationship. That's messed up uh, man and man together. I don't, I don't care so much about that, but this also was the seventies. And I think that if that was an urge that he had, that could have been a really hard thing for him to deal with because it wasn't accepted the way that, that it is now. Yes. So I guess this was kind of like his way of dealing with it was making this group, but also making sure that everybody in the group was not involved with any sort of like sexual acts or thoughts. Right. And, 
Applewhite, Marshall Applewhite at this point was really focused on gaining control over his members and like asserting his leadership. And meanwhile, Nancy Brown, David Moore's mom, one of the members, she was trying to publicize a newsletter um, to create a network and a support group for family and friends that had been shunned by these cult members. Because as soon as you joined this, you had to like cut off your family and your friends. So something that Nancy said was one of the members visited his mother who was in the network and the members saw the newsletter and either told Bonnie and Marshall about the newsletter or they took the actual newsletter with them to show them. And Bonnie and Marshall were very startled and not happy about the newsletter Mm. being printed. And the group looked at Nancy as a troublemaker. And Marshall said that she was a, quote, agent of the lower forces. And Marshall made group members feel like someone was out to get them, um, to take them down, take them off track, not allow them to complete their mission. Mm. And he used Nancy as an example of this. And this is just like, you know, their, their Christian ideology is just like, oh, there's people out to get you to stop you from doing what it is that you need to do. There's always going to be sin and evil that's trying to stop you from doing what you're doing. But instead of like sin and temptation being the culprit here, it's actual physics. It's the media. It's your parents. It's your family. That's what it is in this situation. So Bonnie and Marshall reluctantly let members contact their family after finding out about the newsletter, because obviously there's a bunch of friends and family who are super concerned at this point, and they could be making phone calls to police reporting people missing, and they didn't want that. So they're just like, okay, call your friends and family, tell them that you're okay. Tell them that, um, you know, this is where you want to be. Nobody's controlling you. I can leave at any time, blah, blah, blah. The, the conversations and the contact that they had with their family was very, very popular with cults to be like yes you're okay tell your family you're okay call your mom call her yeah tell tell her that you want to be here tell her this is what you want to do nobody's holding you hostage the same as kidnappers like yep everyone was forced to say i love it here yeah (laughs) yeah so nancy finally heard from david her son in a voicemail And one of the voicemail recordings, I listened to it and it says, hello, this is your son, David. If you, if you want to know how you can help these, um, these parents who want to hear from someone on the trip, if you would print in your newsletter, the names of those parents who will promise not to kidnap the family members or keep them from doing what they want to do. I'll promise you that most of these parents will hear from their loved ones pretty quickly. And I don't want you to worry about me because there's nothing to worry about. That was the end of the voicemail. Hmm. It's like, if you, if you just print in your newsletter, all of the people that like promise not to kidnap their friends and family back, then, you know, they'll probably hear from them so now we're in the early 80s and at this point it's called heaven's gate okay and some your microphone is off i did it again (laughs) 
So some issues start coming up in the foundation of the group. Many longtime members leave the group. Uh, Bonnie's daughter, Terry, could sense doubt from her mother because in 1982, Terry gets a letter from her mom that made Terry think that her mom wanted to leave or didn't believe in this stuff anymore because she remembers the letter saying something like, make sure that you conform to society, make sure that you follow all of the rules, etc., which is just like, it was completely unlike her mom. Bizarre. Hmm. Yeah. So in 1984, Bonnie was diagnosed with brain cancer and she was admitted into an, into a hospital under an assumed name like Jane Doe. Hmm. And then she died and she died alone in the hospital in Texas. Really? Wow. Hmm. And Marshall, he never told Bonnie's family that she was sick, never told her family that she had been diagnosed with brain cancer, never told anybody that she was in the hospital, never told anybody that she died for months after her death. Also, keep in mind that her daughter, Terry, was literally still in Houston, Texas. And she was only a couple, like three hours away from her mom in the hospital. She could have gone and been with her mom. And like I said, I don't know if she had seen her mom in a long time, but you know, like that was completely robbed from her, Mm. from her family. Mm. None of her family knew that she was sick. Nobody knew that she had cancer. She was even in the hospital under an an assumed name. I don't know if it was Jane Doe, but it was definitely a fake name. Mm -hmm almost like to keep people out. And a former member said that her death put Marshall to the test to be able to step up without Bonnie because she was the brains of the group and tested members faith in the cult. And Marshall, he ends up turning around and revising his doctrine to make sense of Bonnie's death considering that she was a messenger of God and she died. She didn't get beamed up or at least nobody saw it. She died in a hospital. Her body was left like nothing got beamed up. She didn't disappear. Mm -hmm. So it turned into that you could achieve spiritual transcendence through other means than just your physical body being beamed up into a UFO. So originally they believed that your physical body is going to like shoot up into the sky and jump onto a UFO. After she died, they're like, oh, it's all about your soul, your spirit. That's what's important. That's what's going to level up. And that's when the body was looked at as a quote vehicle. Mm. And so going forward, you're going to hear lots of talk about the vehicle. Okay. And it's like they completely avoid saying body. <laughs> they hate the <laughs> word body. It's like the vehicle, the vehicle. Hmm. And so also this is where the the seed of suicide was planted in uh, Marshall's head. And Marshall, to keep his reign as a all-knowing leader, he implemented even more strict regulations that removed any sense of free choice from the members. So this included regimentation, which just means like strict discipline, scheduling, and enforced uniformity um, characteristic of military totalitarian systems. Mm -hmm. So 
the buzzed haircuts, everybody wearing the same clothes. You have absolutely no individuality based on the way that you look. Um, they also measured food. Everybody got the exact same portion of food. I believe that they also had like strict, um, dietary things. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but there was definitely things like, you're not allowed to eat this. You're not allowed to right. eat that. Very uniform. Right. Needs met. Right. Uh-huh. And then they had also strict rules about going into the external world, uh, when going to work and to not and interact with anybody because of course everybody still had to go to work because they need money to be able to survive there's a bunch of people in this group at this point they still need finances to be able to live right but when you go out to work you can't interact with anybody of the external world and these rules were implemented and used as an analogy being in the outer world, you were outside of the spacecraft. And if you were inside of the house and doing your routines and following rules and doing your communal duties, you were inside the spacecraft. And this was used to prepare members to be picked up by the UFO. So Marshall began to question the obedience of the members. And previously he had completely distanced himself from like all the male members, unless he was doing his sermons in like a group setting. He never really had any sort of like private one-on-one with any of the male members, I guess, because of his own sexual issues right? and being able to control himself. So, At this point, he asked the male members to join him in getting castrated. Oh, okay. And that that was like a way to test their loyalty, but it was also something that Marshall felt like he needed to be able to stop his own urges. Oh, my God. And so one of the former members, I believe it's Michael Conyers. Don't quote me. He says, Marshall was talking about how far would you go in order to attain your mission? And so he evidently was entertaining, castrating himself and getting rid of the human need to reproduce, or at least the hormone impulse to be attracted to the opposite sex or to any sex. And he said that he started to go, Whoa, I don't know. I can't really go for this. And Michael didn't undergo castration, but Marshall and six other members flew to Mexico city and got surgically castrated. Oh my God. Also, I want you to keep in mind. I looked at the, we're going to talk about this. They're called exit statements from the members that ended up committing suicide. It is like heavily women. Like it's mostly women. So when I say like six men turned around and got surgically castrated, that's like almost all of the guys really? that are in this group. Yeah. So in the early nineties, Marshall, he starts using the internet to quote, spread his gospel. This is when the internet is starting to really flourish. And he made a couple of different websites. One of them being called higher source. And this one was like the company website Mm. and he they were making four hundred four hundred thousand dollars a year and this was by selling books the 
the Heaven's Gate book. Really? They were making bank. Yeah. And they used this money to place a $30,000 full page ad in USA Today to spread their message. And I think I have a screenshot on my phone. I didn't put it in the Google Doc. I have a screenshot of one of the one of the ads that they had posted. So they did, they paid 30 grand to post an ad in USA Today to take oh, a whole page. That's crazy. But they also were like posting stuff in local newspapers. They were spending a lot of money on advertisement because they wanted to save people because the end was coming. So I'm looking at a picture of one of the, one of the advertisements and the, it says, UFO crew from evolutionary level above human offers last chance to advance beyond human. If you don't want out of the human kingdom, you don't want into the kingdom level above human members of that crew are here to speak on how the evolutionary level above human, what religions call the kingdom of God is a many membered kingdom, a physical kingdom level above the human kingdom. With souls, minds, and bodies, not just spirit. This kingdom level makes its headquarters in the most distant segment of the heavens outside of, gosh, I can't read that. It's outside of time. From where all creation originates, both terrestrial and extraterrestrial. How membership in the kingdom level above human is attained by growing or rising above slash overcoming all human mammalian (laughs) characteristics and behavior under the direct personal tutorship of a member or members of that kingdom while they are incarnate in human bodies. How now at the close of this age, the door to that kingdom is briefly open. How life from the next level's point of view begins when a soul receives that from that kingdom level, a deposit of recognition from the information regarding that kingdom's level existence and recognition of a representative from that level above human. The soul can choose to accept further life or nourishment from members of that level indefinitely or reject it at any point and fall back into ignorance or death. It goes on and on, but it kind of just seems like word vomit to me. Mm-hmm. Like I read half of it and it's just like, blah, 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 blah. And that was in what magazine they managed to. That- get- oh, new. Damn. It was in <laughs> USA today. <laughs> 30 grand. And I just read half the ad. What I want to know is how they managed to sell enough books without advertising like that. I don't know. I, I know that it was all through their website. That's all I know. I don't know if they were doing any advertisement of their website or what but they were well, selling. Back in the 90s, I mean, everyone was like, I don't know. I feel like there was only a few amount of websites, you know, like probably probably, probably pretty easy to find. So maybe that's, that's probably true. Maybe. Well, and then you're like thinking about if you search heaven. And there's yeah. not like a fuck ton of websites that'll come up. Right. That might be one of the first That's things that you see. <laughs> yeah. Be my and so Marshall said that he got instruction to place these ads to collect the second wave of recruits or anyone who didn't join the first time, the first time around when they were on their cross country trip thingy. Hmm. 
And everything at this point was taken as a warning sign. And at one point they were staying at a campground in California and they thought that the sky was giving an, a message of impending doom because the sky and the sunset was bright red, like blood. And it was caused by forest fires in California. So the sky was super red. We've all seen those videos. Some people, you know, have lived through it. But we've seen where the sky is like blood red, the moon yeah. is blood red, the sun is super red. And they took this in a very literal sense and used like biblical passages and took it as a sign that the end of times were coming. Right, right. So in 1996, they started renting this giant mansion. I think it was at the end of 1996. It was this giant mansion in, in Santa Fe and Rancho Santa Fe, sorry. So in March of 1997, the Hale-Bopp comet is nearing Earth's orbit for the first time in 2000 years. And Marshall prophesied that a UFO was in the tail of the comet. And he said, quote, it is the marker we've been waiting for, the spacecraft from the level above human to take us home to the literal heavens. Marshall and members believe that the comet itself was a significant sign from the next level to wrap it up here in your vehicles and here on this plane of existence. Hmm. And Marshall's higher source website, that's again, that's what it was called, posted a cryptic red alert message. And members sent letters and video messages to friends and family via FedEx. And Marshall in his video, which I believe this is the one that was placed on the higher source website. I would insert clips here. I just don't want to take up too much time. You can find all of the videos on YouTube. You can find all of their exit statements, all of the clips of Marshall talking. Um, Marshall's video, he said, let me say that our mission here at this time is about to come to a close in the next few days. We have come from distant space and even what some might call another dimension. And we're about to return from whence we came. You can't follow us, but you cannot stay here and follow us. You would have to follow us quickly by also leaving this world before the conclusion of our leaving this atmosphere in preparation of its recycling. And in, on March 26, 1997, 39 bodies were found in Rancho Santa Fe, California. They were found because there was an anonymous phone call to police saying, hey, something happened over there. It was almost like somebody was contacted that was outside of the cult, but was also like, in cahoots with the cult right. and it was like there somebody had planned like hey you know at this time on this date call the police and have them do a welfare check that's the way it seems because otherwise how would anybody know yeah so chuck Humphreys, he's a former member um he said quote they had exited their vehicles talking about their bodies and much the same way they had entered them I was so happy to hear that they were finally on this planet, that they were final, that they finally got out of those vehicles. And I just wish that I was with them at that moment. This was years after this happened, this mass suicide happened. And that's what he said. I wish that I was with them at that moment. Six weeks after the mass suicide, 
Chuck Humphreys tried to kill himself and police intervened and, and stopped him. Really? And this was even after that. He just said, I was, I wish I was with him. I wish I would have done it too. Wow. Terry, Bonnie's daughter, she said, a friend of mine called me at work and told me, um, told me about it. And I told her, you know, it's just another cult. It's no big deal. And she said, no, you got to understand there's this guy named father doe talking about Marshall and there's a spaceship that Halebot comment. And Terry said she totally lost it. And she said that the reason that she totally lost it was because this had been a huge part of her life mm. and that Marshall died with all of the answers that she wanted. It wasn't because she was like, oh my God, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. Mm. It was because he died with all of the answers she That's wanted, funny. which is weird. It is so weird. So Nancy, David Moore's mom, one of the members moms said, when my phone rang up until that point, I'd left open every hope that David wasn't involved because the media still didn't have all the factual info that would confirm it. But as soon as I heard that first sentence, I don't know what that's referencing to. This is just straight quote. As soon as I heard that first sentence, I knew that I knew all was lost. Mm -hmm. And again, six weeks after all of this, Chuck tried to uh, commit suicide and the police stopped him. And so he also had to say, Chuck, I wish that I was with them. It's not a regret in the sense that, gee, I lost my chance at a million dollar lotto because I lost the ticket or I didn't play today. It's more of a kicking myself for not having done enough of my own homework. As long as I'm still here, I can't do anything but share what I know about the next level and about Heaven's Gate. Hmm. Like, even after all of these people are dead, this is what you have to say. So the suicides occurred over three days. So they started on March 22nd. Marshall was one of the last four to die Hmm. and three assistants helped him. And then they killed themselves. Once dead, um, purple shrouds were placed over their bodies and their faces Most of them were in bunk beds, all face up. They all looked exactly the same, same haircut, same track suit, same shoes, et cetera. Um, They were found by an anonymous call on March 26th, the police, and they had, they all had a wristband on that said heaven's gate away team, you know, like those live strong bands. They all had one of those on that said heaven's gate away team. Wow. This was the largest group suicide involving U.S. citizens since Jonestown. Mm. And Marshall got, after the suicides, Marshall got a cover on Time Magazine. What? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Why? What the hell? It was a big deal. But I don't know why they would have put his face on a magazine. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, all of the bodies were identified because next, next to each body was a small bag with their ID and any remaining money that they had. Okay. So I've got a couple quotes from people doing their quote exit statement. So we know that each person basically filled, uh, filmed an exit statement. This was like a video suicide note that they sent to their families. I also think that these might've been posted on the like heaven's gate or higher source website. Mm -hmm. 
They also all were given fake extraterrestrial names. So I might pronounce them wrong. The first one that I'm going to talk about is Sarodi. So it's spelled S-S-R-O-D-Y. And it's pronounced Sarodi. And And I think that this is David. I'm almost positive that this specific quote is David. But they won't use the real names in the exit statement. But I think. Okay. So he says in in his exit statement, this is the happiest day of my life. This is what we've been waiting for for so long. Um, He goes on to use an analogy of an old car. He says, people may keep their cars for a long time before they finally wear out and clunk out and then they die on them. And then they go get a new car. Or some people, they say, well, here's a newer model, so it's nicer. And this one doesn't quite perform the way that it could. So I'd like to move on to this new car. And then you go get a new one. Yeah. And he said, "Uh, I mean, that's, that's about all we're talking about. It's not a big deal. And then you hear the cameraman whispering in the background. And he said, this isn't a troubling circumstance. Don't take it that way. It's just a gateway. What the hell? Yeah. Another member involved and his space name (laughs) is Questody. Questody, something like Q-S-T-O-D-Y. And he says, I've learned so much about the next level and how best to cut all ties, attachments, addictions to self in this world. T and Doe talking about Bonnie and Marshall are my older members and they're from the next level. And they've shown me by their example, the next level ways, behavior and conduct for a beginner in the next level. I must never forget my free will and options. And choices allow me to either keep looking up to the next level and my older members uh, and my older members chain of mind or look away, which results in separation and separation is in reference to being separated from the next level. A lot of these people use that same terminology. So it results in separation and death, similar to cutting a leaf from a tree. As long as I look to my older members in the next level, I will have unlimited growth. And I look greatly forward to being of unlimited service in my new kingdom level where all creation originates and also in my next level vehicle or body or suit or clothes, whatever you want to call it. I want to thank Father Doe and T and prove my loyalty uh, for them, nourishing my next level mind. I feel the utmost respect and honor for the price that they paid to endure for my sake and my classmates sake. Hmm. And the craziest thing is this, these videos were taken literally two days before a day before they all killed themselves. This is what they're talking about. They're talking about kill themselves. I'm so happy. This is the happiest day of my life. We're like, it's just a gateway. Don't worry. Yeah. Like, it's no big deal. Don't car, worry about it. We'll get a new body or a new plane of existence. Like, what the fuck? Can you imagine being one of their family members and hearing that? Oh, my God. I, I wouldn't know what to do. Not knowing where they are or what the fuck they're talking about. I mean, other than, you know, understanding that they're talking about suicide. It's just, ugh, what the fuck? Right. So another member, Ooh. her name was Yersody. Y-R-S-O-D-Y. 
I just want to let everyone know how lucky and happy I feel to be here and let you know what we're about to do is certainly nothing to think negatively about. We are all choosing our own free will to go to the next level with T and Doe, and they are certainly not what the media is going to make them out to be. I never got to meet T in this incarnation in her human vehicle, but I can tell you that Doe is the most special, dignified, unhuman, objective person that you could ever meet. He has helped us so much, put up with so much, and never done anything that seemed close to how a human would respond. Wakenote, another person, says, I think I feel just how your Sodi does. If people would just know that we're not forced into this in any way, it is our own choosing to do it. I'm really happy that I made this choice because there was a lot of things kind of working against me not to. I'm sure I know there was people in the world that thought I had completely lost my marbles. They're not right. I couldn't have made a better choice. I think every day I need to thank T and Doe in the next level for even letting me be here because they don't, they don't need anybody. We know that the media is going to present, present it the way that we wouldn't like it presented. (laughs) I wish you could all be here. I wish you were all this lucky and fortunate as we are, I guess. Both of them say, we're both looking forward to meeting T. And Awaken Odie says, and what your Sodi said about Joe is just so right about him being like inhuman. And I don't think any of us could be even more, I could be more happy. And then the last two that I'm going to do, um, these are Jan Odie and Liv Odie are their names. And these two are two of the people that went missing in Oregon back in 1975. <laughs> so Liv Odie says, we're very happy and proud to have been members of T and Do's class and couldn't be happier about what we're about to do. And she starts to cry. Doubt is never an issue. And as soon as she says that, the other girl, Jan Odie, and the man behind the camera start to laugh. I don't know if it's like a nervous laugh or they're actually laughing at her becoming emotional. And she says, certainly at times temptation of the vehicle or dumb influence may turn our heads for this reason or that. But there's always a deep down knowing that for the moment of seeing Tian Do, uh, that from the moment of seeing Tian Do, that this is why I'm here. To do this task, I always knew that I knew T and Doe before this time, that there was a strong recognition. And Jan Odie says, it seems like the ones who will be, um, or to the blame will be pointed out will be T and Doe. We've always had free reign to leave and go, believe or not believe since day one. It seems more times than not, T and Joe would put more effort into pushing anyone out of the class that didn't want to be here. It wasn't just full steam ahead of what they know to the truth to be and the next level could be. The more we put into practice T and Joe's teaching, the behavior and guidelines, the proof of the truth that they have held becomes more apparent and behavior and discipline um, our human vehicles held became distasteful and beneath us. We, we're looking forward to this and happy and excited. Mm-hmm. And Livodi goes on to say, um, she compares biblical scripture that Jesus said about, I am the truth, the way and the light, and no one comes to the father, uh, except through me. 
she compares that and says, Jesus would say, I'm here and and says that dough would be the only way that you could reach the next level. Like G- if Jesus would were here, he would say, Doe's the only way that, or Marshall is the only way that you would be able to reach the next level and the next level of heaven. And now it's the end of the age, the same thing happening again. Basically, what happened with Jesus is what she's inferring. T and Doe are the way, the truth, and the only source of life. Without our connection to them, we have nothing. Christians miss it when they read the Bible. They just don't get it because the atmosphere is so full of misinformation, but it is so plain and simple and true for us. And then Jan Odie, she cuts in and she says, trust our judgment on this. And the two girls in the video, Jan Odie and Liv Odie, and the man behind the camera laugh and it cuts their interview. Wow. And that's, that's where I'm going to end my well, that was very, thank you. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Wild. Just insane. I just want to know why they were so, con- like, what is so convincing? I'm not, I'm not convinced. Like, by Me the- either. I think yeah. it was just that Marshall was really charismatic and he knew how to talk to people. And I oh, think when it comes to people that are actively searching for yeah. answers, yeah. Yeah. that's what they need, I guess. Well, thank you. That was very interesting. Do you want to do an ad read or something? Yeah. We're (laughs) going to talk about today's sponsor. Yay. All right. Let's see. All right. We're going to take a second before we go into Katie's story. Oh, do you want to pull up the website so we can like share it while we read? No. Keep talking. All right. We're going to take a second before we move on to Katie's segment of the podcast to talk about today's sponsor, The Lesson Foundry. The Lesson Foundry is a 100% remote music lesson website. Uh, The Lesson Foundry has very passionate and incredibly skilled teachers that provide classes for singing, flute, guitar, saxophone, viola, there's literally a whole drop down menu of different things that you can mm-hmm. get lessons for on their website. It's very um, and friendly. I like, I like this. Website. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, there it is. There yeah. we go. So easy. Yeah. Oh, there you, can, you go. You can go, oh, I think I want to learn ukulele. Find your teacher. Find your teacher. <laughs> Isn't that so cool? I love that. I love it. Yeah. Oh, let's talk. Meet one of our teachers absolutely for free. You can put yes. Here we go. There's some more. There's Dave. Bachelor's degree and bachelor's and yeah, master's it, degree. It tells you all of their credentials, which yeah, is so awesome. cool. This is a really cool website. So with, um, with all of the lessons being completely remote, this resource gives you the opportunity to really maximize the time that you have with your teachers during each lesson. Mm-hmm. Oops. Do you want to do the next part? You want me to? Yeah, do I'll do the next part. Let me skip all over. All right. It took me a second. Hold on. All right. The Lesson Foundry site is extremely easy to use, like we were just saying. Very professionally laid out in a way that everyone can understand. You can see details about each and every teacher, including how many years of experience they have, degrees they have in the field, and achievements they have. Each and every teacher available for lessons on the site is extremely passionate about helping you reach your goals, whatever they may be. All lessons can be catered for you to learn exactly what you want and how you want to. Perfect. 
Um, most half hour sessions cost between 35 and $40 per week and signups are for one month. However, you can cancel at any time. If you would like to purchase lessons for yourself or for someone that you love and care about, if you sign up from any time between now and January 13th of 2020, you will get an automatic credit for one free lesson. Mm. This is literally a perfect gift for Mm. yourself or for the music lover in your life. And Mm. luckily the lesson foundry is extending this holiday cheer all the way into next year. Um, if you don't want to look on the website, you can also call 410-404-8226 to speak with a representative about the lesson foundry. Yes. Thank you. Thank Lesson you. Foundry. We appreciate yes. Thank you. Lesson Foundry. You can also find the link to the website specifically down below in the description of this video. Yes, you can. Now get ready, folks. Done. All done. right. Here is Mr. Jim. <laughs> Jim Mr. Bob. And I, if we, we go back this week, I, you know, I learned a lot about this man. He's a he's a piece of shit. So there's <laughs> that. Yep. Yep. All right. So I just wanted to show you guys a picture before I jump into this. But um, that's Mr. Jim, born May 13th, 1931. James Jim Joan was born to a mother who couldn't handle the pressures of parenthood and a father who was too traumatized from his time fighting in World War One to be emotionally available. So he didn't have a very good childhood. Again, that is a I, I always say you had not you having a bad childhood might be a reason but it's not an excuse for being a shitty person when you get older absolutely not yeah so um lynetta his mother was what would be considered today as a free thinker or rather someone who simply is of the opinion that we don't truly know that there is a god an afterlife or a purpose to our time on earth um she was open to the idea that god wasn't the god that many christian denominations preach that he may be um, and I kind of roll my eyes at the fact that people feel that they know 100% certain who God is, because in reality, nobody knows. That's true, um, true. Yeah. And I can commend Lynetta for questioning the validity behind traditional Christian beliefs. Um, but of course, at the time, anyone, especially a woman who subscribed to an alternate opinion was heavily frowned upon. And also growing up in the church myself, personally, I can understand the fear-based judgment that this woman likely went up against on a regular, on the regular, you know. Um, suffice to say, Lynetta likely instilled plenty of free thinking into the mind of her son, Jim, due to her being an absent parent and her own beliefs or unbeliefs in God. I, um, this was a quote. I didn't have any love given to me. This was Jim saying this. I didn't know what the hell love was. Jim told his congregation at one point. It seems that his loveless childhood and appeal to the structure that religious practices promised propelled him into seeking his own truth. As far as religion goes, Jim tried it all. When he was a teenager, one of his favorite things to do was visit various churches in the area around where he lived in Indiana. He'd obsessively practice whichever denomination was currently interesting him until he grew bored. Then he would rinse and repeat. Uh, What religion he subscribed to was less a matter of personal convictions and more so a flavor of the week kind of situation. One thing's for sure, whenever Jim, wherever Jim went, people loved his charismatic personality, which was a big thing that we were just talking about with the leader of Heaven's Gate. It's Super necessity for a cult. Great, great guy. That everyone loves. <laughs> you got to be a great charismatic guy. You know who else was charismatic? Ted Bundy. His yep. ability to compel <laughs> a crowd of people searching for answers of hope. He was extremely convincing 
in the way of bringing forth equality. Now, at the time, this was back in the 70s when he had his big reign. You know, back then it was really was not it was not okay to be black for some reason. Don't know. Yeah, why. That was just at the end of se- yeah. segregation, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. And he yeah. would bring forth like this idea that we could all be equal. Like, oh, my God. You know, like that's such a crazy you know, I'm trying, I'm trying not to get into my opinions on this whole thing. It's like, he genuinely, I think had a great vision to begin yeah. with. Like what ended up happening is awful. And we'll get into that in a second, but his vision for wanting the world to be equal and calling it a rainbow crowd, whenever he would come into church, I think that's beautiful. I think that's that is beautiful. That is Absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. So as a matter of fact, Jones accomplished quite a bit of desegregation in public spaces that were otherwise closed off to people of color. Now, this part's really interesting. We don't know what Jones' true intentions were or if he truly believed in equality. I think he did at the beginning. I don't know what ended up happening. But he sure did do a lot of good when it came to equality from a race standpoint, whether or not his efforts to bring forth equality was for the greater good or if it was all a ploy to gain a bigger following. That's for you Mm. to form your own opinion on. But um, one of the biggest things that he ever did was convince shop and restaurant owners to allow all skin colors to be patrons of their business by demonstrating peaceful protests outside of these shops and restaurants. Owners that were once white only were promised booming business, which they definitely got if they simply just changed their white only policy. Sure enough, business owners who were connected to Jim Jones were in for quite a lot of business from Jones ever increasing congregation. What what he ended up doing was making an entire list of all of these restaurants that people could go to that were, you know, that had a different skin color than white and they could go and business was booming. Like they had like this whole list. They're like, you guys want to go there after lunch and they'd show up and like business. Yeah. It's like an after church lunch menu of where you can go. And people fucking went and there was hundreds of people. So yeah, you can imagine these shop owners were like, shit, you might want to get in on that one, buddy. Like telling all their other buddy owner or shop owner buddies. Right. You don't care where the money is coming from. No. Yeah. Like you'd be stupid not to allow these people in, which is kind of awful, but I don't know. At the same time, it's like, I don't know what Jim was doing there, but I don't know. Yeah, it's questionable, but I mean, for the greater good in general. But whether they, I think, (laughs) (laughs) "Mm, your methods might have been a little tainted. (laughs) Okay, but um, yeah. So Jim and his wife Marceline, they adopted this. This part's also very beautiful. They adopted a part Native American child named Agnes three Korean children, Stephanie, Lou, and Suzanne, and in 1961 were the first white couple in Indianapolis to adopt a Black child, a boy named James Warren Jones Jr. The Joneses also had a biological son, so they would have had, what, one, two, three, four, five, six kids? Yeah, yeah so they had, a, they had their own kid named Stefan or Stephen Gandhi and later adopted a white son, okay, so we have seven kids here, named Tim. <laughs> From a People's Temple mother, which People's Temple was the name of the church. Church. Um, Yeah, church. A rainbow family is what Jones called it, which I think is very sweet. Yeah. Jones heavily preached on the idea of a world in the near future that would stand happily united with each other, unsegregated, blended, and at peace. His mission was a welcome one, and people who shared the same ideas just flocked to hear his preachings and be a part of this church. 
This church is what Jim Jones was preaching. This church and what Jim Jones was preaching sounded great on paper, but in reality, there was something vile bubbling underneath the sheep's clothing that I'm not even sure Jim knew was there until it was too late. As time went on, Jim's preachings got more and more extravagant. He knew that he needed to keep the people in his congregation interested, and those on the outside needed to be drawn in to make sure that the church was ever increasing in number. This is where the miraculous healings began. Oh, Lord, tell Angela. I laugh about these because I feel like growing up, it would be like three in the morning and I would be watching some freaking program on TV and it would be like some church thing. And there'd be like running around because some guy healed someone of like a, like an ailment. I don't know, like a headache. And they'd be like, my head doesn't hurt anymore. And they'd like (laughs) around and like be freaking out. Oh man. Danny dealt with that a lot. Really? He grew up up, what? Pentecostal. So yeah, yeah, it was lots of people talking in tongues, rolling around on the ground. See, I've been around people that do people talking in tongues. I've also been, I've actually participated in a group. I used to go to a very Christian college. I'm not going to talk about it, but, um, (laughs) which i'd love to but i was in a room where we did like dream or um stream of consciousness praying where it would be like anything that would pop into your head would be a message from god and you had to say it out loud in front of a bunch of people oh god you'd be like oh my god god's showing me like the color red and they're like what what color red what do you think that represents and they're like an apple and they're like well that apple probably is like a symbol of this and this and like they would the, go the yes. fruit in the garden of eden yes. like it's bizarre so i've been i've been involved in some of these like more i don't want to say crazy but you know crazier aspects of um <laughs> i'm sorry i don't mean to roll my eyes at your experiences i remember how bizarre i felt after that meeting i was like i almost felt violated like i don't i don't think that i ever participated but listening to everyone else spit out their stream of consciousness felt yeah because violated. you know honestly that's what some people do in meditation which is yeah. something that you typically do by yourself. Yeah, I yeah, especially um people that I don't know because it was a bunch of people from this guy's class in in my college and um yeah, there was like 20 people in there. Like no thanks. Yeah, so, yeah, weird. same 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 shit, same shit different day. Um one thing that I'd like to note before going any further is that Jones had a massive following, of course, but he had some followers that were dedicated to almost a fault. Um, it's interesting to wonder if he had dirt on some of these diehard followers that they that they just didn't want you know others to know about, and that's why they did whatever he said, or if it was something else. I don't know, but we'll end up talking more about the diehard followers a little bit later because they ended up really they really come into play later. I don't oh, know why yeah. people were fucking like crazy for him. I'm like charismatic. I'm telling you. And then at the same time, you believe that they're like a messenger of God. And then you're yes. just like, this is the closest I'm going to get to God here on earth. And- yes. And he very much so was like, listen, you can, you know, call me God if you want to call me God. You could call me father if you want to, you know, like. <laughs> like Daddy. This is Daddy Jeff Jones. Daddy Jones. <laughs> Ew. I hate it. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, he was like he went by father, and people called him that. So Even weird. Met him. <laughs> what, dad? <laughs> dad. <laughs> anyway, I need to stop talking. I'm so sorry. I don't care. I'm terrible Daddy at this. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, 
Uh, let's see. Jim, Jim Jones had a legion of protectors that stemmed from his congregation and they were willing to do literally anything to ensure his safety, position, and validity with those that came to hear him speak. Mm. These much more dedicated followers of Jim's would assist him in these miraculous healings by pretending to have an ailment so they would be plucked from the crowd as if they were a random, of course, a random hoe from the street. <laughs> And they would be miraculously healed. And Bailey Sarian did a video on this, but she was talking about it as well. But they would walk in with chicken livers and these nurses that would put hands on these sick people would have a chicken liver in her hand or their or his hand. And they would be like, cough. And they would put a chicken liver on their tongue and then like rip it out. And people would be like, Ew. oh my God. Like, okay. So the cancer has left yes. your body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're like the cancer has left and everyone would be freaking out. Like, everyone yeah. And then Jim Jones would be like, oh yes, Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus. We've got the freaking, you know, whatever. Praise the Lord like, for fried chicken out. livers. Thank God it's out. Yeah. Like people literally believed it. Oh. It was bizarre, but it kept them coming. I'll tell you what. I, I bet it did. Uh, all right. So it started off small, just your run of the mill coughs and headaches being plucked, taken and healed from an audience member in the name of Christ Jesus. Now, do you want to watch a small video about somebody pretending to get healed or no? We can sure. sure. Okay. Let's do that. Uh, give me a second. I'm going to put a timestamp here. No, wait, no, don't start. Let's see. I want to see somebody be healed. Let's take a look. There is one with an older woman. This is like real footage. He recorded everything. Okay, okay. Oh no, my YouTube is broken. It's broken. The doctor has relieved you from your work in the second row. You have a bad spinal condition. Yeah. And your hip. Kick her in the back. (laughs) Step from your wheelchair. Again, step from your wheelchair. Get it. Try it. Just try it. Just try it. We have nothing to lose. We have no face to lose because we've said we're no panacea. But I have seen more healings here than I've ever seen any place. I love you. Jesus Christ loves you. Jehovah Jireh. All the goodness of all the world's great religions in the name and the mercy and the goodness of Jesus wherein I stand. Come forth, my dear. Stand up. Get up. Take that step. Bless your heart. Take that step. Take that step. See? It's a miracle! Woo! <laughs> so you get the idea. That's pretty much what it was like all up in the church. Let me turn off this sound. Oh my god. I don't know who was screaming, but that's not necessary. <laughs> Her face is funny. She's like, 
<laughs> I wanted to like, see her yeah. just like fall face. That first. was one of the people that was like probably one of Jim's good, good followers. And she mm-hmm. was like, okay, yeah, I'll do this for you. You know, but that was a very routine thing. And I don't know if the other followers knew about it, but like I know the people that were just joining didn't know. Anything. And this didn't make them like question <laughs> him. Like, go go out there and lie for me yes sir believe you believe everything that's where i think the whole having dirt on people comes in they're probably like listen betty joe you know 80 years old woman 80 year old woman you fucked my cousin last saturday you think i didn't know about that you know he probably was like holding shit over their head they're right. telling you and they're like if you say anything about me being a phony you're going down kind of thing. I don't know. I'm going to tell Susan. I'm going to tell Susan (laughs) my cousin. Anyway, so Betty Joe there. so bad. Needed to pretend to have a bad back. (laughs) (laughs) back. I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. I watch this stuff and I get like so many just like impulsive thoughts where it's just like fall over. (laughs) (laughs) Kick her in the back. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm bad. Jim slowly but surely started to realize the people in his congregation would literally do anything if he asked them. The power he began to feel was seeping through the cracks of his demeanor that you can see in church recordings, um, which I you can find that later. Um, and from firsthand accounts from people that interacted with him, he began to get out of control. So this next part's going to come from a blog post that I found from Annie. The writer details of um, a part of the Jim Jones story that many people just gloss over. So you know how he wears those stupid sunglasses? Yeah. Because he was fucking high all the time. All the time. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, Jim Jones. It's like, yeah, he's wearing sunglasses because he's like zooted out of his mouth (laughs) all the time. Right. And I really, I feel, and I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, but I feel like that had a lot to do with why we ended up where we ended up. Had to have. Had to. Had to. Because this guy went from, oh, yes, red and yellow, black and white, you know, like everyone precious in his sight and like so sweet. And he was like, I'll get to it. (laughs) (laughs) No, Um, but I know what you mean. It it had to have been. Had to have been. It had to. I don't know. She details, um, the writer details a part of the Jim Jones story that many people gloss over, and that's the prevalence of the drug use in this man's life. According to the road to James Jonestown, excuse me, Jim Jones and the People's Temple by Jeff Gwynn, that's a book, Jones began relying on pain medications as far back as the mid-1960s. When his church was still fledging and fewer than 100 members, Jones would reportedly stop mid-sermon and mention his need for medication to get through it. Jones said that he didn't like doing it, but sometimes he needed the pills to alleviate discomfort from various unspecified ailments. By the early 1970s, Gwen writes, Jones began using abusing drugs, excuse me, on a regular basis and had no problem getting access to whatever he wanted. Sometimes he got doctors sympathetic to the group's cause to prescribe him medications directly. Sometimes other people people's temple members gave him their own prescriptions that's i figured that's that came in after being sworn to secrecy of course other times members who worked as nurses smuggled drugs into the settlement from the hospitals and healthcare facilities where they work which is a big no-no you can get oh. nurse fucking 
RN is license gets revoked. Gone. You out. So yeah, he, they were sworn by secrecy. But again, they would do fucking anything for this guy. And it got worse because Jones started preaching that we should not use drugs. So give me all your drugs, you know. <laughs> like he's a, come, come I'm gonna pass around the offering plate and I want you to give me all of your drugs so that you exactly. will, you know. Yes. And he did that and he fucking took them. And he was like, You're not allowed to use drugs, but um, you know. <laughs> I was literally just joking. Yeah, seriously, that's what he did. Oh yep. my God. Mm-hmm. I know. Crazy ass man. Jones, who forbade recreational drug use among his followers, took amphetamines and tranquilizers in both pill form and liquid form to provide Jesus. significant boosts of energy or else slow down his racing imagination and allow him to rest, end quote. But the amphetamines contributed to Jones' paranoia, which is why I theorized that this had something to do with it. And he started to believe the CIA and the FBI were taping the church's phones with plans to infiltrate the temple with undercover spies. He really believed that shit. And he had a massive congregation at this point. So, you know, he can imagine a bunch of new people are coming in every day or every Sunday, probably every Wednesday. And he's probably like, I don't know about you. Don't know you. I don't know you. You're going to call me a fake? You're going to infiltrate my... uh, my uh, mission here, you know, because he's getting free drugs. And then he was starting to fuck other women. And yeah, Ooh. he just had it all. He was this big, great guy. Everybody looked up to him. Temple members who spoke out against Jim Jones were punished, sometimes sedated with drugs. In fact, there was a hut at the, at the Guyana com- compound, which is where they eventually, that's where Jonestown was compound called the extended care unit where members who displayed worrisome behavior such as speaking out against jones were confined and heavily sedated some people there were reportedly fed cheese sandwiches laced with barbiturates that's literally the exact same thing that they took in heaven's gate yep that's crazy pretty much anybody that was in jonestown or anybody that was like in the church maybe in the later half of the church before they moved to guyana um they were like, shut the fuck up. You can't say anything bad about them. Yeah, shut the fuck up. You, if you <laughs> say anything bad, like you're going to get a fucking cheese sandwich that's going to make you feel sleepy. <laughs> you know, the booty like, juice. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. That's like, crazy. So they literally saw if you were not silent, you would be silenced. Like they were. Why like, not just leave? I don't know. I don't know. I, and I don't know. It sounds so easy, but leaving a cult, man, you know, it's hard. And they make they they take things from you. They 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 fucking if you have kids, they're going to be like, well, what do you what do you, what about your kids? Are you going to leave your kids here with us? Right. Like, well, we'll hold, they'll hold your kids ransom. They'll fucking your whole family, take all your money, there, all your money. They'll tarnish your reputation, especially if you lived in the area. It's yeah, fucking that's sick. According to San Diego State University's alternative considerations of Jonestown website, there is a little agreement. There is little agreement on how many people were handled in this way, although there is no doubt that both Shonda James and Eugene Chaikin were subjected to this treatment, members of the cult. Shonda James was a dentist and a temple member who worked on the medical team at Jonestown. Jim Jones allegedly forced her into seclusion after a disagreement. She later, excuse me, later died in the massacre. Chaikin, a lawyer who also spoke out against the church and had a falling out with Jones, died there as well. Oh, man. Stefan Jones, which that is his one son that he had biologically, 
Um, child of Jim Jones and wife Marceline survived Jonestown because he was not on the compound at the time. He was with the Temple's basketball team in Georgetown, which is a 23 mile drive away from Jonestown. That is also where the landing strip is. So uh-huh. we'll get into that. Do you think that that was intentional that his son wasn't there? I was going to say something about that because I'll get into it. Because his okay. mom, his mom definitely gives off that vibe. That's okay. that was my guess. Um, the only known personal drug use. This is Stefan talking or Stephen. The only known personal drug use was that of my father. He explains to A and E true crime. The rest of us didn't smoke, drink, or use drugs, especially once we hit Jonestown. The only other drug use was Dad's overt and covert drugging of some people to control them, ten to fifteen at most. Stefan doesn't does admit to youthful dabbling with his father's drugs, which this is interesting as well, which Jim left carelessly strewn around their house in 2003. Um, in an essay, Stefan writes about how when he was 12, he purposefully consumed a large dose of his father. I'm sorry, I'm not hip to the drug scene, but qualods, qualudes, qualudes. Do you want to explain what that is to me? No, not sure. Not sure drugs uh, they're pills i think pills. i can let me google it sure yeah they're quaaludes i know is how you say it. i think they're yeah. like pills like what like xanax probably a sleepy time drug if i had to guess because i don't i think what he ends up saying is that he gets he almost overdosed oh so maybe a sleepy which i guess what you could overdose on uppers too i don't know See, brand name for an old drug, methaqualone. It was a sedative similar to barbiturates and quickly became popular recreational drug. Mm. Yeah. Um, He did this. He took these without the intention of dying, but to win the attention and care of his parents and to get out of attending his father's long church meetings. I didn't want to die. I just wanted to be telling the truth when my when I told my mom that I didn't feel well enough to attend the regular Wednesday night marathon meeting. Um, Jones writes of his first near fatal overdose. He goes on. Once I got a taste of the attention I got after that first overdose, I had to try it again. I took a bunch of quaaludes, quaaludes. Is that what it was? Um, at least two more times, each time confessing to having taken more than I actually did after my strategically placed and timed suicide note led dad or mom to find my easy to find body. He eventually knocked it wow. off. So literally, his parents wouldn't pay enough attention to him that he tried to kill himself to, to get out of a Wednesday night. Yeah, to get out of stuff and to get his parents to be like, Jesus, which is fucked up. But like, mm. so fucked. Oh, mm. my God. Yeah, his dad just fucking left all of his drugs just hanging out around the house. And I'm sure he had quite a lot, especially if all the church members kept giving him their drugs. Right. Dad. <laughs> um, it should be noted that even after Stefan's brush with test or brush with death, overdosing at such a young age, his father refused to hide his drugs from his son's wandering eyes, according to Gwen, because he wanted his stash handy at all times. Jim's wife, Marceline, became bedridden. Now, this part is really, this is where it starts to go. She couldn't, his wife was bedridden. (coughs) He could not be sexually satisfied by her. So he turned to having affairs with some select woman in his congregation. Mm. He was open about it as well. And he made it out to be a godly thing. This is nuts. My wife, this is 
a loose quote. My wife is bedridden and cannot give me the sexual satisfaction that I need. Is it a crime to be a man of God and have a wife that can, that can give me everything I need in marriage other than sex? Can I not seek that out to make sure that my part of that part of my life is taken care of? It would be selfish of me to try and get that from my wife. So we agreed that, that I get it from other women. Yeah. Misogynistic as fuck. Yeah. Ew. There's a literal, I'm not going to show you this video because it, I don't know. And, and I don't, not that I don't think it matters. I just think it's too long, but basically he has an entire sermon one day confronting the congregation about why he sexually abuses his fucking church members. And he's like, I've never done anything to you. That you guys didn't really want, you know, that like he literally says that dead ass in front of his congregation. Yes. And then he's like, the woman that he has sex with, he's like, did I force you to do anything with me? And they're like, Oh, like, you know, in front of 300 people. Um, I don't don't know the whole, my wife is bedridden. It would be selfish kind of shit, you know, like whatever. That's gross. Yeah. He explains away why it's okay to have sex with other women when your wife can't do it for you. So, yeah. That's fun. <laughs> anyway, shit. Yes. Aside from all of his drug use that likely fed into his ever increasing paranoia, you know, about the FBI and the CIA coming to get him. He was a devout conspiracy theorist. It didn't take much time for him to go on far-fetched conspiracy tyrants. The congregation turned into an echo chamber, chamber of impending doom. And that's what Jim one day used to his advantage. His followers trusted him and believed that he knew what was best. After accusations of abuse began to rise, however, people were beginning to talk and Jim felt that he needed to make a move while he still had a decent following before his empire came crashing down. Because, you know, once all the sexual abuse started coming out, the media is like, oh, what yeah. the fuck is going on here? Because, you know, people right. were starting to leave and they're like talking and shit's going down. Mm-hmm. So he's like, we got to go. We got to get out of here. We got to pack up and get out. Like, oh, I know. Let's go to Guyana. So in an article from American Experience, which is a PBS website, it reads, in 1974, Jim Jones dispatched a few people, temple members to rent more than 3,800 acres of jungle property in Guyana, which that is crazy. You must have some fucking bank. When he ended up yeah. dying, they found $7 million in his spread across bank accounts. So Holy he had shit. Money. A former British in the seventies. That's yeah. oh and this God. was after he fucking bought like a plot of land in a country. Like that's a lot of land. Yeah. And which I don't know, you know, the currency over there, you know, what the currency rate is from transferring or whatever, but still three thousand and something crazy. pieces. That's huge. Yeah. But it was not, it was like completely untouched. So, you know, he sends people out there to go and clear land, make sure it's uh, like deep right. them to come out. Um, anyway. A former British colony in South America where the population spoke spoke English in Guyana, uh, getting to the Jonestown Agricultural Project from the capital, Georgetown, involved 24 hours in rough ocean waters, followed by 12 hours of upriver to Port Kaituma. And then from there, travelers bounced over six miles on rutted roads to Jonestown. So you can see how fucking difficult it is to get to this fucking place. He liked it like that. He wanted it that way. One stipulation of the lease was a requirement that one fifth of the land be cleared for cultivation. The first 35 to 50 Jonestown residents were primarily young men who spent their days cutting down trees and then dousing them with kerosene and setting them on fire. 
By 1977, there were 60 cottages on site, large kitchens and food storage areas, laundry rooms, an infirmary, and two schoolhouses, as well as an open-air pavilion where meetings could be held. Among the pioneers at Jonestown was Philip Blakely, who later wrote about Jonestown to his ex-wife, Deborah Layton. I never thought it would come to this. I really loved Jonestown because I built it and I saw it all from where it was still bushed there. It was not until Jones got there that things got bad. If he really wanted to do something for socialism, he could not have done anything worse. Jonestown housing settlements. Jim Jones arrived in August 1977 with hundreds of others. Although the camp was well run for and by 50 people, suddenly housing almost a thousand residents strained the resources of the camp. And I can imagine that must have really stunk to have to be in a cabin full of like 50 other people. Who knows? Jeez. Yeah. Once there, Jones' worst tendencies resumed unchecked. He confiscated medicines from every resident, kept himself alternatively medicated on amphetamines and barbiturates. The public punishments and humiliations continued, as did the private sexual advances. Um, Jones declared that all men except himself were homosexuals and tightened his control over who could associate with one another. Families were completely broken apart and asked to inform each other. Hard physical labor occupied able bodies six days a week. Late night meetings continued and occasionally escalated into white nights, all night sieges during which the entire population would huddle into the main pavilion, listening as Jones railed against conspirators in the government, the media, and the relatives who wanted to destroy their community. So oh my God. keep in mind, they have no news resources. They have no yeah. way of contacting any family members or friends outside of the people that they're living with because every Jeez. single letter that goes out, they have to open it up, read it, you know, he saw everything that went in and out of that motherfucking camp. Right. And he made sure that he kept putting fear. That was his big thing was fear based news. You know, I guess he was their news outlet. So he would tell yeah. them, oh, the CIA is on their way right now and everyone would be freaking out. He'd be like, yeah, so you better listen to me because I know what's coming in and out of this camp and I know who's going to be here and I know this and that and people would be freaking out. I'm what's going to keep you safe. I'm your only sense of safety. Exactly. He's like, what we have here, this is is safe. Yeah. And he would be doing this all fucking night long. He had a loudspeaker over the entire camp and while people were trying to fucking sleep after a six-day work week, he'd still be fucking talking about himself and fucking talking about crazy news. Oh God, you just want earplugs. Just be oh, like, shut awful. the fuck up. I can't imagine what that was like. Jones also controlled all information like we were just talking about. Letters coming in and going out were censored. Telephone calls were restricted or scripted. Relatives in the United States remembered hearing Jones or other voices coaching their loved ones on what to say. There was nothing to contradict Jones's version of the news. The Ku Klux Klan was marching through the streets of American cities. Concentration camps were being erected for blacks. And oh, political- my God. And the inevitability of nuclear war was nigh. Armed People's Temple guards could patrol. The- yeah, so they had fucking guards, like with guns, yeah. um, which were just like uh, people that were, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like radicals, radical believers. Right. Um, and the inevitability of nuclear war was nigh. Armed People's Temple Guards patrolled the jungle around Jonestown ostensibly to protect the residents, but clearly threatening anyone who considered escape. And their biggest thing was 
they can go if they want to. But the people that did got fucking sent to that damn infirmary and were like, you know, told to shut the fuck up. They were sedated. They were almost killed. Like they would be threatened to be killed if they tried to get out of there, which even if they could, you can't. You're like deep in the jungle. You're fucked. And then when you get to like Georgetown, which was the only like outlet there had to be a plane ready for you. Like you had to, right. otherwise you're like stuck in the middle of the ocean. It's just fucking crazy. So anyway, I just wild. wanted to like really reiterate that point. It's like, they they're literally stuck. They're stuck. They're fucked ever since they got on that plane to get out there. Anyway, obviously people want to get out of this camp. Many people were starting to understand the grave danger they put themselves in because Jim was so convincing in his preachings. They believed him. He manipulated them on such a massive scale. He promised a new world in Guyana, free of pain, full of peace and love. And that is a world that they wanted. And he used their own wants and needs against them. He was supposed to be their protector, but he was a sick, sick man. The same article that I was reading earlier goes on to talk about how Jonestown was investigated the first and last time. Meanwhile, frantic relatives in a group called the Concerned Relatives were lobbying American authorities to investigate People's Temple in Jonestown and allow them to communicate directly with their loved ones. This is where it gets interesting. Mm -hmm. People's Temple defectors, which are the people that wanted to leave, among them Deborah Layton and Grace and Tim Stowen, told their stories to the American media, detailing the armed work camp and threats of mass suicide. Um, Anyway, let me skip that. Congressman Leo Ryan took a small plane with members of the press and toured the camp of Jonestown. Due to the concern of those related to members of Jonestown, he was concerned that some of them were held there against him. His, uh, against their will so i'm going to show you a series of videos and then we will be done but what ends up happening after this video that i'm going to show you is so awful nothing and i'm not going to show you anything that you don't want to see but watching this video and knowing what ended up happening afterwards is awful yeah. all people died every single one of them except for 11 died wow. 909 people just awful shot crazy some people ended up being injected with um the liquid that he had which was i think chloroform i don't know i can't remember i'll have to find something mixed with like kool-aid right yes but whatever it was it was mixed with kool-aid and people were forced to inject it if they didn't want to take it and there is a recording of this happening there is a literal recording that you can go and listen to on youtube of everyone dying um and him being like it's okay you're gonna be all right guys like it's gonna it's gonna go by quick like it's fucked up but these are the videos before so this is when congressman ryan gets there let me show you i'm gonna just share my screen hold on and this was like the the trigger that made him feel like he that they needed yes. to kill themselves was this guy getting there right i'm so glad that you said that because yes while congressman ryan is here and i'm just going to turn this on while um while i'm talking okay but um while he is there people are handing him letters like oh right get me out of here because before they allowed congressman ryan to come into their camp um jim jones told everyone that they needed to tell the media that they were happy that everything was right. fine. Mm-hmm. A little fuzzy. Old. Very. This was from the 70s. 77. The 
basically what Congressman Ryan here is saying that he um, he's like, you know, all we want to do is make sure that everyone's okay at the camp. We just want to check on the welfare of everybody because the people there are from the United States. I'm from the United States. I'm here to protect them. That's all he's saying. As a private property owner, we simply would like to have a chance That's to talk to you. Literally, the next day he ends up being shot. In California, there's the San Francisco yeah. Bay Area who have expressed an interest in, in people who are here. And uh, that's our only intention to come. Before I get permission to go in there, I would have to get instructions. Okay, that was so arriving. Here is a small, just a snippet of an interview of someone saying, it's so great here. I love it. I love being We're so happy. We're so happy. And the um, media is like, are you sure? Like you, are you sure about that? And they're like, right. absolutely. <laughs> and you'll see it. It's like, absolutely. Nobody's going to do anything that'll make you do something that you don't want to do. Oh. So interesting watching these. All of these people died. Two girls that I don't need to talk to first. Okay. Your aunt is not sure you want to be here. Do you? Yes, I do very much. I want to leave. You're happy here. I'm very happy here. It's the best place I've ever been. She won't look him in the eye. Nope. Why why is she worried about you then? Do you know? I don't know. (laughs) He's like, why are your family members worried then? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to leave here because I have, you know, it's really nice here. I have, you know, got a good education. It's got a lot of friends here. I like it here a lot. People say, some people have said they couldn't leave if they wanted to. Do you think you could? Yeah, if, if I really wanted to, I, I'm feeling down. If I was really, really, really Note you that. Leave? Note that one. Put, put a pin in that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, if I really wanted to, I could. How? I totally could leave. You know, they they give us free reign here. No, they fucking don't. No. Um, thought that was an interesting one. Oh, and this part right here is fucking. I. It's infuriating to me because I almost don't know if what happened would have happened had Congressman Ryan not given Jim Jones the note that <gasps> one of the members had handed him. What was on this note was something of like, please help me get out of here. I need to get out of here. We're scared. I know about five people that need to <coughs> something like that. And so it's like the congressman's like, hey, see, not everybody's happy. Look. Yes. And he goes, you know, you said people could leave whenever they want. But it's interesting because I was handed this note last night at dinner. And let me show you. <sighs> Oh, oh Why? my God, was I mad? I was like, oh, but he had, but the thing is, he showed up thinking that Jim Jones was not a violent person. He thought he was just going to show up. Everybody was going to be like, we're okay, we're good. And then he was just going to go home tomorrow. Oh, and man. that's exactly what he tried to do. So let me just show you this real fast, because what ended up happening was not supposed to happen. It's just so infuriating. But um, these videos are insane. This was like the literal tapes from the NBC media company that was there that day. This is Jim Jim. That means only one thing to be explored. And that's this question of a lot to be explored. Well, for us, the the thing of fear. And this is a good example. Last night, someone came and passed me this note. (laughs) 
that's who we're talking about. He wants to leave his son here. If Jonestown says you got that's why he's going to leave his son here. He's the one that I'm just talking I don't think you could hear what he just said, but the guy that gave him the note has a son. And Jim was like, that's interesting because he has a son. So does he want to leave his son here? So he's threatening already. Why? Why can't I take my son with me? Yes. He's like, well, he's going to leave his son here. Does he know that? And the guy literally never asked about, I don't, it's just wild to me. You can look at how like the guy takes the note back and then Jim is like, no, no, no. Yeah. He's like, I don't, I don't believe. And then he starts to go into like, people just want to play fucking games with me. They're lying to me. They told me they want to be here and they're handing you notes. Like watch how he reacts. It's bizarre. Oh my God. This this is the man I want to know his son here. Doesn't it concern you, though, that, that this man, for whatever reason, many people in your group, people was, play games, friend. They lie, they lie. What can I do about lies? Are you people going to leave us? I just beg you, please leave us. Bill, we will bother nobody. Anybody wants to get out of here, can get out of here. We have no problem about getting out of here. They're coming here all the time. I don't know what kind of game. People like, who, who, people like publicity. Some people do. I don't. He's not leaving his son there. He wants to leave with his child. Yes, but what he ends up doing is not allowing him to take his son with him. He ended up leaving his son there and his son got killed. Um, I don't know. I'm oh, the guy that brought or gave that note is still alive. Oh he man, he was one of the eleven who survived all of the gunshots at the airstrip that day. What this is the I'm so upset. This is what I'm talking about. Like, it's so it's like if he did not show him that note, I don't think that Jim would have gone off the deep end the way he did. It's right crazy to watch that and knowing what happened but here's the well, last like, man if you thought that it was for real that serious like talking about the congressman you could have just had giant fucking planes show up like go home don't say shit keep your mouth shut mm-hmm. bring a bunch of planes back and come save these people bring some military personnel with you and come save these citizens you know right right and uh, yeah Damn it. it's so it's so infuriating you can and see him just kind of snap when Congressman Ryan is a great man for going out there and seeing what he could do. These are the people leaving that Jim willingly, quote unquote, yeah. allowed to leave. But there was a couple notes that I wanted to say before I said uh, landing strip was 24 miles away. Um, Congressman Ryan was actually getting ready to leave. People asked if they could come with him. He said yes. So, like, this wasn't even like a premeditated thing this was like a they saw him going back to his truck and they're like can i come with you and he's like "Um, yeah sure and then jim jones was like fine whatever what ended up happening after this is just awful but i just wanted to show you oh and you know he's just seething watching all these people walk away he's just fucking seething and his brain's just going a million miles a minute like what am i gonna do what am i gonna do what am i gonna do I'm going to put it on mute and you guys can just watch it while I talk. But um, yeah, I it's awful what ended up happening. Um, they end up going back to the airstrip, which was about 24 miles away. Um, long, long trip to the airstrip. And Jim willingly, he said, willingly, I will let you go. You know, he tried his best to keep his cool, apparently. But I think once they left, he realized that he was 
fucked. Like he knew this was going to come crashing down. People were going to show up for the rest of them. And he was like, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. I have to. They're going to go back to the States and they're going to tell everybody what they've experienced. They're going to lie. Coming in, trying to infiltrate, you know, what we have here and take the rest of them. Yeah. You see if someone was taking their kid from them. It's, it's awful. But anyway, I'm going to read you the script of what was on that tape. I'm not going to let you listen to it, but I will read you what he said just to spare you from hearing children crying and people wailing for their lives. Um, I tried to listen to it and I couldn't. It's awful. It's disgusting. It's the most despicable thing I think is on the internet right now. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to show you them all leaving and Jim was not happy. He was not a happy man. Anyway, uh, Jim was back at the camp while this was going on. Um, let me load this, but it ended up that his more, uh, radical followers, they thought that Congressman Ryan was taking people like there was some kind of miscommunication, I guess, from people understanding that the people that were leaving, they were going for their own will. They didn't get that. Um, they saw Jim you know, clearly distraught about people leaving and they thought, oh, so they're being taken. And I guess Jim fed into that belief, knowing the fucking truth. Right. right. And they followed these people to the airstrip. So minutes after this was taken, everybody was shot at. Um, let's see. Five people were killed. The congressman died. So that's six. Three members of the press, that's seven, eight, nine, died at the airstrip. And 11 people were wounded, but they managed to get away and like hid for a little while until the next day, um, which I will read you what was happening back at the camp um, while all the shooting at the airstrip was going down. So it was immediately he was just like, OK, this is what we got to do immediately. Yep. He was he immediately wow. called a white knight for everybody to show up to the pavilion um, everybody sat down, was listening to what they what he had to say. And he said, I've tried my best to give you a good life. In spite of all that I've tried, a handful of our people with their lives have made our life impossible. There's no way to detach ourselves from what happened today. Um, it says the following are excerpts from a transcript of a tape recording obtained by the New York Times from the International Name Video Club, Inc. of New York. Um It is a recording of the final 43 minutes of the mass death at Jonestown. I'm not going to read it all. Um, Yeah, it says, Griana Lust, November 18th, in which the followers of Reverend Jim Jones died. Sources who are familiar with investigations of the People's Temple have indicated that the contents of this tape are identical with portions of the government-held tape that have been disclosed over the last few mingle. Not only are we in a compound situation, not only are there those who have left and committed the betrayal of the century, some have stolen children, and this is all his facade that he was spinning for everybody. Right. He didn't know what happened at the airstrip. So he's taking that and he's running with it, and he's going to scare the shit out of people so that they're like, there's no way out. I have to this kill is Armageddon, basically. Exactly. He yep. was like, you either kill yourself or get killed. You know, he was like, you can at least die in a noble way. It's, it's, yeah, with it's dignity awful. or something. Yeah, with dignity, you can kill yourself so they don't have to blow up, you know, our 
our camp here with bombs. And that's literally what he was saying. But in reality, what was only going to happen was they would be rescued. Right. But he didn't want that. Um, He says, not only are we in a compound situation, not only are those who have left and committed the betrayal of the century, some have stolen children from others and they are in pursuit right now to kill them because they stole their children. And we are sitting here waiting on a powder keg. See what he's saying? So toss it here and wilt for the catastrophe that's going to happen on that airplane. It's going to be a catastrophe. It almost happened here. Almost happened with a congressman was nearly killed here. Someone tried to hurt the congressman while they were still there. Uh Um, You can't steal people's children. You can't take off of people's children without expecting a violent reaction. And that's not so familiar to us either. Even if we, even if we were Judeo Christian if we weren't communists, the world opinion suffers violence and violence shall take it by force. If we can't live in peace, then let's die in peace. And people were applauding. And eventually they all took the Kool-Aid and they all died. Um, after everything was said and done, it was 909 total deaths. That's 409 insane. of those bodies were never identified. They were laid to rest in a mass grave in California. Oh my God. Yep. That's and it, it. it was like if if people would like refuse to like drink the juice, would somebody just like jab them with the with the yeah. injection? Yeah, yeah. If they refused to take it, they would either be shot. They would be given uh, a needle with the liquid inside of it. The babies were given little syringes, and um, oh everybody God. else drank it. Yep, just awful. Almost and there's a thousand people. There's yeah, and there's pictures. If you ever were interested in seeing it, like aerial shots of the whole cult just laying out on the ground i think i've seen them weren't they like stacked up too like um they were like all laying around all around the pavilion it was it's the craziest photos i've ever seen in my life it's awful but i mean some of these people died for the cause they were I, they literally thanked him before they fucking killed themselves jeez, uh, i can't some people went down fighting some people really did want to get out of there but some people wanted to just like they the were happy to do it yeah, happy yeah. to do it. Happiest day of my life. They were like, thank you, Jim Jones, for everything that you've done for us. And he said in the beginning, he's like, I tried to give you a good life out here in Guyana. And now this is how you repay me. Like everything was always like a disappointment to him. Right. Like we had to please him. It's awful. But anyway. Did he, did he, I don't, I can't remember. Cause I've, I know a little bit about Jonestown. Like you gave me a lot more information than what I've ever known, yeah. but did he drink the Kool-Aid or did he shoot himself? He sh- either shot himself or there is a theory that his mistress also, well, she had another gunshot wound in his head and her head. They don't know if he shot himself or if she did it and then shot herself. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Coward. And his son was literally like, if if it's true that he could not kill himself, he was like, that just tells me everything I've ever needed to know about my father. He's like, he couldn't even kill himself because he didn't want to put himself in that position because he was that selfish. Like he made right. everybody else do it except for himself. Just Narcissist. Awful. Narcissist. To yeah. the death. Just awful. Oh my gosh. Terrible. Really? That's it for me. I don't know why it's so about. interesting though. The psychology I know, I'm, behind I'm, it is just like I know. <gasps> I know. I I feel like I just got done writing like a college essay paper. That was <laughs> me too. It was very interesting. I had fun doing that. Yeah, it, they're very, very there's so much information, and it's just like what what could possibly make somebody be so convinced that they're willing to go to the end of the earth to mm-hmm. to to die for mm-hmm. this? 
it's just crazy to me. But like you look at Christianity and things like that, there's people that would be willing to die for what they believe in as well, which I uh-huh. mean, there really is. I mean, and I sound that sounds morbid, but when I was like heavily Christian, um, I used to say, like, if someone put a gun to my head and said, do you believe in God? I would say yes. Right. And, you know, I would potentially be killed. I used to say that now I'm not so sure. But that has nothing to do with anything. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I just find it so interesting that people are just so yes. willing to be diehard for the, you know. Just- yes, it's it's so, it's bizarre. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. I'm reading the comments. We're so glad you guys were here with us. This was awesome. This was a good episode. I had yeah, fun. we did good. I had fun. Yeah, we did good. Next week is Reddit Confessions, I think. Yes. Don't quote me. I think that'll be be like a nice, relaxing. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I'll end up putting a couple of funny ones in there just for shits and giggles. Okay. Then I I do. (laughs) Okay. Well, all right. This was thanks for watching. Thanks for watching. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Next Wednesday. Wednesday at 5 30. And oh, this episode will be uploaded tomorrow at 5 30. Yes. Yep. Bye. Bye, guys.